Hello, beautiful human. Thank you for joining Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. We're stoked to have you be a part of the conversation changing shit you don't want to talk about into shit to talk about. This show was created to have us open our minds and learn about new perspectives even when we don't agree with them. Please be advised. Episodes can discuss content that is not suitable for all listeners and it can be triggering. Opinions of our guests expressed on the show are their own. They do not necessarily represent the views of myself or the show. There are a few ways we could really use your support. Please share your favorite episode, especially send them to someone that could really use the content we talked about. Donate on PayPal and Patreon. Subscribe and rate the show iTunes and Spotify and follow on social media and join the conversation. It's shit to talk about. That's shit. The number two talk about links are in the episode description. Hey, Ashley, thank you for joining shit. You don't want to talk about, please introduce yourself and what shit you want to talk about. Hello, my name is Ashley Cornelius. My pronouns are she and her, and I am a therapist by trade and a poet, and I am the poet laureate of the Pikes Peak region and um, just really love talking about how we get to heal, whether that's through art or poetry or therapy, and today I'm going to be talking about generational trauma and how to recognize it in ourselves and the ways that we can use our voice and message to shift our understandings and work towards healing. Yay. I still haven't figured out like how to say, this is shit we're going to talk about. Like, is it a yay? We're going to talk about this shit or is it like a, we're going to talk about this shit. But (laughs) that aside, I am excited for you being on the podcast. Uh, For our listeners, uh, I'm going to hold up this cup. Hopefully you can see it. Awkward is my specialty. I think that's what it still says. Yay, it does. I recently found this cup and this really does go into how I met Ashley. She was, I did the TEDx talk Cherry Creek in December, 2021. And she came on stage and uh, totally gonna, she looks like an angel, just like her outfit. She was glowing. I was like, I want to listen. And then she started talking about generational trauma. And I was like, shit, this is deep. Like, this is the type of stuff I want to talk about on the podcast. And so we have like our intermission, our break. And I'm like awkwardly standing by her waiting for her to get off the phone. Like I've never met her. I've never talked to her. And I'm like, hey, I'm not like trying to follow you around. I just really need to make sure I can say (laughs) hi. And she was willing to even take a picture with me. So, and here she is finally on the podcast. I say finally, because I've just been really excited since December. So thank you for joining. And yes, everyone, her, just what you talk about in your poetry and your TEDx talk, and it's, you're very, very Mm multidimensional in the fact of all the different pieces that you talk about. And I feel that generational trauma is definitely shit no one wants to talk about and mm-hmm. how deep it really is. Could you define what generational trauma is for us? Yeah, absolutely. So generational trauma is experiences that happen across generations. It could be one generation or, or five back that then are experienced by like the person in real time. So something that might have happened to my great grandmother can have an influence on me. And what we know is that 
it can be something that I totally understand of like, wow, I know my great grandmother went through this experience. And so it makes sense that a similar experience makes me feel uneasy. But what is often scary and what people don't want to talk about is there are experiences we have no idea, we have no connection, don't know what happened, but we're feeling these experiences as if they're happening to us with no real like origin point. Um, and so this can look like um, generational trauma in terms of race, right? So like a black experience and enslavement, it can look like a personal experience of abuse within a family. Um, it can be religious persecution, right? Anything that um, kind of travels through our DNA and we have these visceral experiences to trauma that we may not have experienced ourselves. Damn. Mm-hmm. And I, it's almost like you, you don't even know what to say to it because it is such like a deep seated issue. Mm-hmm. How do people discover that what they're feeling is generational trauma and not their own trauma? Mm, that's such a good question. And I think Again, that's why it's really scary because sometimes we don't really know. I know for myself, it was like a physical experience of being scared of something that I had no reason to be afraid of. Um, And so I I mentioned this in my TED talk that I was in Vegas at a show and someone cracked a whip during a show and I literally no experience, no trauma with a whip. And I felt as if I was going to be harmed or killed and my body went through this whole reaction and I was like where is this coming from right when I come from a lineage of folks who were enslaved and so that makes a lot of sense um, and in grad school one of my professors was explaining this to us and she said when she was pregnant with her son um, there was a really big fire in their house and the fire alarms went off and they barely got out and it was super traumatic after she had her son and he was kind of like a, in elementary school Anytime a fire alarm went off, this kid freaked out. And he was just like, I hate this. I don't know what's going on. He talked to his mom. He's like, what's happening? She was like, oh, when I was pregnant with you, I had a really traumatic experience with a fire. And so even though, right, this kid has no understanding, was not out and about in the world, right, the experience of his mother in that stressful situation was still with him, right? He has no reason to be afraid of the fire. He wasn't consciously aware of what was happening, but we can see it realized as even as one generation, right? Of parent to kiddo. Um, And so it could be as close as that, or as long as people I've never met before experiencing it. Um, And so a lot of it is introspection, which is what we don't like to do a lot, (laughs) is thinking about what's happening for us and saying, what's happening, right? Is this something that I'm experiencing? And if I don't have an origin to it, looking back, does this make sense? that in my family history, I might feel some type of way. Um, The other example I always give is, there's like the stereotype that black people don't like water. We just like, don't go into water. Um, And I always was like, oh, okay, whatever. It's a stereotype I hear often, but right. When folks were enslaved, people jumped off the ships and decided to complete suicide rather than be enslaved, right? So water not only signifies, right, escape, but also a way in which people like left. And I thought that was a a better experience than being enslaved. Um, During slavery, folks would throw um, young black babies into the lake as alligator bait. Um, There were water hoses, um, right, during protest. And so if we understand that, if we understand the ways in which water impacts my lineage, the way that it has been used as fear and torture, 
of course, black people don't want to be in water, right? It has nothing to do with our hair or who we are. It is a symptom of generational trauma that we have explained through stereotypes. And so starting to break those down and seeing, oh, this has the origins in something that we are trying to reconcile in ourselves. You're making me speechless. Hmm. This is it, because it is it is so heavy. And mm -hmm. uh, it, what I'm hearing is, especially with stereotypes, it is a, a lot of a lot of society does not realize what generational trauma can do, and also that it even exists. Yeah. And for myself, I think that is one of the hardest things to explain to individuals, uh, even within my own, you know, family, that generational trauma is a thing. And I'm, I've been told that it's bullshit. It's like, you know, and I've even heard the term black people just need to get over it. And, mm -hmm. and it's heartbreaking yet. The podcast is what I've tried to do to, you know, get this knowledge out there yet, you know, not everybody's going to start a podcast, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I would love it. There's like a gazillion podcasts out there yet. How do we start breaking generational trauma? How do we support others when we see, them going through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of this goes to history, right? Because a lot of generational trauma and why it feels not palpable, right? Not real for folks is because we often don't have that point of context of like, my grandma was at a fire. And so that's why I'm afraid of fire alarms, right? We often don't have that really easy connection, um, but it's history, right? And we actually have to be taught about what happened for real in history. We have to be taught about who did what, what happened. Um, and I'll give you an example. So I work in um, the, the healthcare industry and I work in a hospital. And so as we're talking uh, about vaccines and vaccine fear, we hear a lot of like, oh, well, BIPOC folks, Black folks and brown folks, right? They might not medically understand what's going on and there's a lot of fear and we have to educate them and support. But in reality, if we understand the Tuskegee experiment, that was an experiment that took 600 Black men with some with syphilis, some who did not have it and experimented on them. Once we knew how to cure syphilis, they were not given any, um, any medication. They're basically left to die the last person of the Tuskegee experiment died in 2004. And it was a 40 year experiment, right? Where black people trusted white doctors to support them for bad blood without really knowing what was going on. So if we understand the Tuskegee experiment, we can understand why there's vaccine fear, why people are afraid to go to the doctor, why they are afraid to do all of these things. If we have that information, we can then support people who are going through this of like, of course you're scared. Of course this makes sense and validate their experiences. So we have to know our history first and foremost so that we can start to recognize those signs and symptoms of like, hey, you're, you know, you can't really put a finger on what's happening. Let's not only look at what happened to you, but what might've happened in kind of your legacy. Um, so that's one way that we can start to do it and to acknowledge when it happens. Right. It's scary. And it feels kind of weird to be like, 
I'm going through something that I think maybe my ancestors went through, right? That can sometimes feel like a silly conversation, but if no one's talking about it, then nobody thinks it's happening, right? The same way we think as kids, everyone's having sex when actually no one is having sex, but we think it's happening, right? Those same kind of things that happen as we come into adulthood, we just assume if it's not happening, then it's good when we're experiencing it, right? And we're experiencing it sometimes not to the level of, right, a whip cracking in Vegas and having a reaction. It could be, um, yeah, I'm scared to go to the doctor or, you know, I feel uneasy around men or, um, right, this environment going back to a certain place makes me feel weird. And so if we start to listen when people say that and not say like, oh, whatever, don't worry about it. I don't know what's going on. There's no reason for you to be scared versus, yeah, how can we support you and help you navigate and your, you know, your second question was like, how do we start the healing? Um, first we listen, then we validate, um, and then we understand the origins, right? Another example I'll share is black people don't go outside. We don't go into the woods. We don't camp. Another stereotype. When in fact, we are from the land. <laughs> this is how we have survived, but this is a stereotype that has been told to separate Black people from the land, right? We know that with Indigenous folks of taking their land and making it inaccessible for folks. And so if we know that, if we can start to find the origins, we can understand that we can walk back into outdoor spaces, that we can walk into spaces of medicine with support, that we can do this because we know the separation um, is about fear and control. And so as we understand what um, is happening to us, we can find out the ways to get support and walk towards what we need in spaces that it's safe, right? Not everything that is generational trauma needs to be like engaged with, right? If, um, if it is gonna be harmful for you to engage in that, absolutely. But if I need to go to the doctor because there's something wrong with me and there's that like separation, how can we support someone to get the help that we need? How can someone go camping? How can someone enjoy swimming in a pool and reclaiming parts of themselves that they've been separated from? You said that so well, and a, a big thing that keeps coming to mind is how, uh, and you spoke about this too, of how our each individual, how we will struggle with like the interest, uh, like looking within ourselves. And I do also want to call out, uh, especially about history, because Worldwide, yet I would say mostly within the U.S. is our history books aren't written for the actual history. Mm -hmm. They are very, very, um, they're skewed to the narrative that somebody, the patriarchy, I don't know, somebody decides <laughs> that they want the new generations to believe. And mm -hmm. I know one resource that I really enjoy uh, learning, and this is how I, I learned about um, uh, the um, tests that they were doing on Black men, is mm -hmm. through a podcast uh, that Bailey Sarian has called Dark mm -hmm. History. And she actually talks about how this kept um, with syphilis and the, that they would give it to people. And then they would say that they're getting better, that they keep giving them the drugs and mm -hmm. 
men in that community had no idea why they were dying when they were being told that they had the drugs. That is also a huge form of gaslighting. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's also, um, just on a touch base on her podcast, because I think it's very valuable to see these type of resources. She does give visuals. If you watch it on YouTube is this last, um, this last week, she posted a, her episode was about the history of rock and roll. And it Mm -hmm. actually wasn't Elvis or white dudes that did it. It was a black woman that Unfortunately, I'm horrible with names and I will put it in the show notes because it was really, really badass. And the same with like blues and jazz mm-hmm. and white people didn't make that shit. Like, stop mm-hmm. trying to say that you did. I'm saying that to myself as well, because like, we need to change the history and have these conversations. How with generational trauma, mm-hmm. I mean, we we've dug in pretty well into that. Um, yet, even as I'm talking about Bailey Sarian and her podcast, history is not written for the truth and mm-hmm. it can be very difficult. And it's also, we don't, all individuals don't need a token X and put that intellectual burden on them. You know, mm-hmm. there are specific people like yourself that is open and wanting to educate. And Google is a great resource, yet uh, even Google tries to whitewash, like, and mm-hmm. influence and guess what you want to um, find. And have you found resources that, like, I know um, there's multiple books about, uh, you know, white fragility and those type mm-hmm. of books really help with underlying certain feelings, yet that doesn't always teach history. Mm -hmm. Do you know of any resources that do? Yeah, that is so great and an interesting answer I'll share. One thing I would encourage people to do is look at history within your own city or county or area. One, there are probably living human beings who have experienced it. And I would say, look at, right, marginalized identities, identities that are historically left out of those books. Um, So that's BIPOC folks, Black, Indigenous people of color, that's queer folks, that's folks with disabilities, that's women, that's non-binary folks, um, right? That's folks who, um, you know, struggle with mental health and mental illness because what we have lost, I think so truly is oral history. Um, we only see history once it's edited and published and put in a book. And I think, like you said, those resources are so valuable, but you would be surprised how many people are living in your city who were the first person to go to an integrated school or are the first people to experience something. Um, and so I would check there. I think the other things too is um, going to uh, like lectures or workshops where people are discussing because what you're bringing up right is you kind of have one narrative and it's kind of hard to say is this true is this not and so in these discussions people get to share and you get to expand your understanding of history right and I think there's some incredible books the 1619 project absolutely fantastic uh, stamped from the beginning uh, how to be an anti-racist and um, also looking back at like older scholars right folks who have been doing this work, Angela Davis, Bell Hooks, Audre Lorde, just like 
I think there's such rich history and I would encourage people to not stop at one thing. So if you learn something, find another source that backs it up, which is research. And I know people are like, no, I'm done with that. (laughs) I'm trying to research. 100%. I, I believed a lot of things. I'm a little bit gullible, but I love a clickbait. I'm like, tell me about it. Who did what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I know that sometimes things look really shiny and beautiful and look at this cool fact about this group of people. And it's important that we take time and care about what we believe and then how we share it with others. So I'm hearing a lot of uh, like, you know, the, what we should be doing and I love it. And I'm, I'm going to dive in a little deeper to ask these questions because I think it's just not my forte, but I'm like, uh, so I love, the idea of, of finding out more information from communities mm-hmm. um, within, you know, your own city, your own county and diving in deeper there. And I know like growing up, my grandparents would take me to old um, ruins and mm-hmm. I absolutely fell in love and learned a lot there. Yet talking to a live person, I personally go with, a, where do I start? B, who the fuck wants to talk to a little white chick about this stuff? Because, uh, you know, I'm like mm-hmm. the odd one out and it does put a bit of an intellectual burden on them. Yet at the same time, it's to share those oral stories. Yes. And I will say, um, I used to be a fan of the library and that's probably a great place to start on history. So I will own that there and I can actually go probably next week. Um, (laughs) yet like how I didn't know about the TEDx talks, uh, for Cherry Creek until I had a friend that was going to be in it, Louisa. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm also not from the uh, studious or academic background. So uh, I also want to call that out because I feel like for those from academia, it really makes sense to go, oh, you go to the library, you do X, you do, Mm -hmm. this is how you Google it. I talk to people, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is great, but I don't always know where to do that research. So is it just show up at the library and ask the librarian and hope for the best? Uh, yeah, nope. So here's how we do it. (laughs) So maybe spicy content. I don't know. One, uh, sometimes you have to pay people for this information, right? Because this, yes, there are some people who are educators and there are some people who are not. And first and foremost, you have to ask if you find this person, right? And I'll kind of share more about that. Are they in a space to do this work? Um, also, what does it cost to get this information? Because this is emotional labor and you should be paid for that, right? And so the question of like, who would want to talk to me? Hey, here's some money for your time. Um, I think the library is a great resource. I think there's like tons of like, you know, museums and spaces. And also if that's not your jam, what I would do, and if social media is your jam, is follow Black creators, follow Indigenous creators, follow queer creators, Um, Because often in the creation of content, whatever that looks like, there's often stories, there's often history, there's often ways to engage that doesn't feel so academic. I'd also say go to events, right, in your community. If you're trying to learn more about um, the Asian American experience, what cultural events are happening? How can you engage with folks who are in this space? And again, 
always asking for consent. I think they're, I'll be very honest with you. In 2020, during all of the, the protests and the calls for justice, I got text and phone calls from white people I haven't talked to in 12 years. And in that, I realized I was their only black connection. Someone mm. I met in elementary school had potentially no other black person but me to contact or write this kind of guilt and fragility came in through checking in on me when we haven't talked in 15 years. That doesn't feel good. For some people it did. For me, it felt weird and out of place. So it has to also be organic. And you have to ask these questions and um, education is not owed to anybody, right? It is um, an honor to get to share and learn from people's lived experience. But there are times where people think it's expected. Like you should tell me, I'm trying hard. Like give me mm -hmm. the information, I'm showing up. Um, and I always frame it like this. If, uh, if you punched me in the face and then I gave a presentation on why it hurts when you get punched in the face, that's, that's education, right? Is I'm educating the person who just harmed me, why it hurt and why you shouldn't punch me. And so the onus is not always on the oppressed people um, and finding the folks, paying them and asking consent. Like that's how we have to do it. And People have to be okay if someone says, no, I will not educate you. No, I don't want to talk about that, right? And I think that's often where we find conflict of sometimes it's a no and you have to move on to a new person or find another way. But uh, yeah, people who experience oppression are not a, you know, a social experiment for you to learn more. It's our real lives and our real experiences. And Sometimes we're in a place to do that and sometimes we're not, but you have to ask and potentially compensate people for doing this big work. Agreed a hundred percent. And I, I do want to call out that just because somebody says no, does not mean it's reverse racism. I, I say it like that. <laughs> um, I giggle because it's uncomfortable and that's that's a big default for myself of I had a podcast uh, in 2016 and we had a guest on uh, talking about the caste system in India and she railed into me about intellectual burden and it was my first opportunity to learn about what intellectual burden is and at the time I didn't know that was what white fragility is as well, because I had, I, I hate to say it at the time, I had like two black, two friends and I didn't know what to do. They asked me how my day was. And I was like, reverse racism, reverse racism. Yeah. And they were so calm and supportive yet looking back at that, it's like, I don't know how they didn't punch me in the face for being like such a pansy about it and all the shit that they've had to go through. And it's, it's something that uh, what you spoke about is give people the opportunity to say no and give people the space to also not be ready. It, like a hundred percent on this podcast, we talk about shit. No one wants to talk about, you know, and mm -hmm. not everybody's in that space to do so. Right. And Y'all, uh, I've had it where I've postponed on guests. Guests have postponed on me. There's been one guest that took four months for us to figure out our schedule to get, uh, you know, together to record because life happens. And also we need to take care of our own safety and security and give people that space. 
as a therapist, could you give us a, how do we create that space for people? Mm, yeah. So one thing that I say, and it's, this happens a lot of people are like, this is a safe space. This is a safe space, which I don't think there's no safe spaces. They don't exist. Safe space is co-created with the people who occupy space. Okay, I'm gonna say that one more time. Safe space is co-created by the people who occupy space. Nothing is promised. No safety is just existing. It is about co-creation. So often we think about holding space for another person who is going through things or distressed, but it's less about a transaction and more about like holding each other, right? You are also adding to what feels safe for you because right, psychologically, right? There's mirror neurons. So if I like cross my arms, sometimes people will cross their arms, that kind of stuff. Same thing with, if I take deep breaths, it'll calm someone else down. And so that's the same thing with creating space. We have to be ourselves in a space where we feel it so that we can reciprocate and collaborate in a, in a space like this. Um, and what I often think is important is um, allowing it to be organic, right? Sometimes there's like, tell me about this, tell me about that, tell me about this. And allowing that person to share what they would like to share, right? And so that it feels less like, I'm deserving of these things, or this is what I'm really curious about is, wow, let me, let this person tell me a story. Let me understand who I am through their specific language, because we don't want these interactions or spaces to feel like school, right? You ask me a question, I answer back and forth, much more of like, hey, here's a discussion, here's a sharing. Um, and so what I believe we need to do is get better at recognizing in ourselves <laughs> the space we need as the receiver, and the giver. Um, I was recently at a, uh, a retreat for um, folks of color who are activists and um, someone said, even the beautiful things are heavy too, right? So even when we're like loving it and, and caring for our friends and doing it, like we also have to recognize that this work is heavy, even if it's powerful, even if it's making change and going in with that understanding is important and that we're humans, we're just people. And some, and we are not monoliths of our culture, right? So you and I sing together, I'm talking about the black experience, but that's my personal black experience and someone else may have something different. Another black therapist may say something else. And so not pinning the whole understanding of a specific identity um, or culture on one person, but understanding this is how this person experiences it and not, right, this, you aren't black enough, you aren't X, Y, Z enough. Um, Cause I think that also when people tell them the truth about their experience, they're like, oh, well, that's not really what, what I wanted. I wanted something different, right? I wanted you to say more about being urban or you know some bullshit like that um, versus here's my experience as a black woman who grew up in the suburbs of Colorado Springs, still experienced a ton of racism but it's gonna look very different for me than someone else who grew up in the Bronx or someone who grew up in Denver. Um, someone who is dark, has a darker skin tone than me or whatever. And so really understanding we are humans, we are individuals and our marginalized experience, black experience, queer experience, disabled experience is unique to us and does not speak for everyone who is a part of that group. Agreed, agreed. And what, I'm really hearing you say is to realize that 
a people aren't tokens yet there's not just one token person from each area and to create a safe space is uh, as you said is not transactional it's co-created and i'm curious about one thing so i'm 99% sure that my father is a psychopath like he, like when when he says you shouldn't create a triangle and that means using a different person to communicate with another person to it's a form of gaslighting it is just hot mess he always does that <laughs> but I'm really good at not creating them now and uh but one thing he taught me and I think because he didn't do it it really really uh, stayed with me is the love box and it's uh the way he always explained it and the way I at least interpret it now is both people need to put into the love box and if one person doesn't it will um the other will give too much that it will eventually uh it'll eventually cause them to burn out because they won't have anything left to give would would that analogy go with co-creating that safe space mm. or am I like you know mixing the two <laughs> um, like at least that's what came to mind when you started talking yeah. about co-creating mm-hmm. yeah I think that's a really um, interesting way to think about it because it is it's like you do have to give a little bit of yourself in order to make it work right because otherwise it's super voyeuristic, right? If I'm coming like full vulnerability and energy and you're just like soaking it up, right? That's also not necessarily how human connection works, right? It's like this reciprocation and listening and and sharing. And so, yeah, I think that is what it looks like and um, that we have to be just like really aware of what we're putting in that box. And sometimes it's not love. Sometimes it is judgment. (laughs) Sometimes it is projection. Sometimes it is whatever we think we're coming with love. And kind of like I said in the beginning, this work is hard because it requires introspection. It requires you to really assess why am I coming to the table? What am I putting in this box? And what am I hoping to receive? Um, And I've been in a lot of spaces where that box was not filled with love, um, but they thought it was. Right. And so then we think that we're creating safety, but then I'm not giving as much because I'm not feeling it. And so we get into these spaces where we we feel something's off. Right. And I think that's the thing about generational trauma is it's typically a feeling of something being off. We can't quite know what it is, um, but we're like intuitive people. Right. I think a lot of our inheritance is our gut. Right. Of like, I know something's wrong. Something doesn't feel right. And if we can understand that in the spaces that we create, I think we can um, opt in or opt out quicker, right? Of like, hmm, this doesn't feel right. And so I don't feel as comfortable to share tons of my experience with racial trauma versus other spaces are going to feel that. So I would encourage people to tune into your gut, right? And to share when you feel safe and when it feels like the person who is receiving or giving um, feels like feels like that space can hold it, right? If we go back to this box metaphor, right? Does this space feel like it's filled with love? And in that case, awesome, share, express. But um, there is so much work that has to be done before we actually get to the exciting part of the let's talk about it. Let's learn about history. Let's understand. 
so many big processing steps have to happen. And true question, are people ready to hear what we have to say? Because it might be big. It might make you uncomfortable. It might freak you out. Um, And so really looking in yourself, people who are looking for that engagement to learn more, can you hold it? And what do you need in order to um, hold that for someone and be okay? Because it's all about mental health, right? It's, it's a lot to hold someone else's stories. I know as a therapist, like it stays in your heart. Um, and so really being prepared for, I'm ready to hear and I can accept what's happening. And if I need it to stop setting some boundaries and same for the person who's sharing. That really hit home and in the fact that we're on a podcast called shit you don't want to talk about. And there's a lot of times where I would say my full-time job uh, with the podcast is to make myself really uncomfortable. Yet I've learned that there's as, as much as I almost wish there weren't, but I even have my own boundaries in the fact that I've had people that want to come on the podcast and talk about sex. And as someone that was sexually abused growing up and raped, I'm, I'm not ready for it. Like, Mm -hmm. I would love to be able to talk about it, yet it's not something that I can be in a space because I haven't worked through it yet. Mm -hmm. And I, I really appreciate how you talked about that people think that they put into the love box and that they don't. Mm-hmm. And that includes for ourselves. I uh, I was speaking to a friend earlier this week and we talked about how he didn't feel in alignment with his job. And he knows that I always use the love box analogy. And I was like, it's almost like your box has a hole in it. And yet you just keep putting in for yourself. Yet it keeps leaking. Where if you're in alignment with yourself, you'll just, fill your box. It won't go anywhere. And I think just how you explained client, like, are we even as individuals ready to hear and deal with this? Exactly. Now, we talked a lot about generational trauma and how to get more education and not doing the, uh, uh, intellectual burden, how did you decide or become, or I don't know if people decide or become or which way (laughs) did you end up in this space? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, so, and again, a lot of this is built into the TED talk that I did for Cherry Creek women. Um, but I talked so negatively to myself, right? Just like all the time I was like, you could do better. You suck. You're dumb. You're ugly. Like that just was how I expressed myself. And I'm sure a lot of other people know that feeling too. If something goes wrong, you're terrible, you're stupid, you're dumb. Um, and I was like being so unkind to myself and it got to a point. And I think my mom also heard me say these things out loud. And she was like, you gotta like figure this out. And I think also sometimes when someone else sees your behavior and it's like, the fuck are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, ah, I okay, it is something I need to fix. And so I realized that me saying all that stuff to me is actually saying it to my whole lineage, right? To my grandmother, great grandmother, 
everyone who has been through so much for me to exist here. And I'm out here being like, you're dumb and you're ugly and you're stupid. Right. And so understanding that connection to my ancestors was a beautiful way that I shifted the way I talk to myself. That now I think about a loved one. I think about my grandmother. I think about all that my family had to go through. And that stops me in my tracks because I'm not going to say, hey, you dumb and ugly grandma. I would never. Absolutely. But I would say it to myself. And how am I any different from my grandmother? How am I any different from my ancestors in terms of like spiritual connection? And so that shift was really profound for me. And I realized in that Vegas show, when I was in the bathroom trying to collect myself because I got scared of a whip that I have really no reason to be scared of, that generational trauma for me, and this is very specifically a personal thing, I realized that was also my ancestors taking care of me. That was someone who actually did get hit by a whip and couldn't run away being like, Ashley, can you run away? Do you have the space and time to leave? Because I'm scared what's happened to me will happen to you. And like, that was huge. And that is not true for all types of generational trauma. And so I, I want to name that really clearly for my personal experience. I felt warmth and love of like, I know what this is. And I know what this has been for my family and I will do everything to fill your body with blood and adrenaline and make you scared so you can leave because I want you to not experience what I went through. And that created a warmth and protection that I didn't know I had from my ancestors. And so I'm in this work because it worked so profoundly for me to know that yes, generational trauma is not a good thing. It is not something we should feel. And I don't want folks to confuse that, but when you experience it, it is often an experience of fear his experience of, of pain. Um, and for me in that moment, it was an understanding that someone in my life went through this and someone is trying to protect me. And that looks like fear in a physical representation. Um, and I, I know it worked for me and I wanted to share that with others. And again, it doesn't always work for each type of experience. Um, but it shifted my understanding of when that comes up of, okay, I get it you want me to be safe. What am I looking out for? You, that is so powerful. And as you're talking about it, just fruit, you knowing that making sure that you can leave that is bringing on so much emotion Mm -hmm. and giving people the space to leave, especially when they weren't able to because they were treated less than humans. And it is uh, the closest word I can come up with is beautiful that Mm -hmm. you have that space to leave now and that you feel it as a protection and instead of a hindrance Mm -hmm. and that you are doing so much in your life. No, I'm not calling your grandmother ugly. (laughs) And it's, it's so, what I don't think so many people think about is how many of, especially those of the BIPOC community were stuck Mm-hmm. Indigenous for the reform schools, mm-hmm. slavery, and that is worldwide, even within Africa. And it's 
people take so for granted the freedom to leave. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to say I am so grateful and appreciate you sharing that because it's, I don't think a lot of people realize how that generational trauma, you can say how you reacted, yet even just being able to say that feeling of knowing that you need to have the availability to leave is relatable on a humanistic level mm-hmm. of no matter what somebody's background is. And thank you for sharing that. Um, it's definitely very, very powerful. And I saw your, your TEDx talk and was tearing up during that too. So um, it's definitely, you are a powerhouse and I am just so grateful that you are sharing and, and allowing others to, to learn from in a, in a safe space. Yes, that is very, very co-created. It is also something that your vulnerability allows others to have to, because we all pick up on vibes, you know, Mm -hmm. like no matter what, uh, it's a vibe and people can pick up on that vibe if they can create that, uh, that safe space of that co-creating, because as you said, it's Mm -hmm. not something that necessarily needs to be said. A lot of times it's just that vibe that somebody's putting off and you exude strength and safety and share that vulnerability that so many of us are afraid to do. Mm -hmm. And I really just want to say thank you for that. Thank you. That is a a true compliment. And I think uh, is what I do, right? I serve in my capacity as a therapist and kind of in in my role at my job and I think poetry too right it it serves and so I am always grateful when the things that I have experienced in the way that I heal resonates with others because like we said we don't talk about this we don't talk about how scary it is to to understand ourselves it's scary to even talk about trauma let alone trauma we don't really understand fully or have never felt ourselves. And so I'm just um, really honored that I get platforms to share my stories and hopefully validate other folks who might have experienced generational trauma, right? Might have um, felt something and not known what it was. Because if we don't explain what it is, people are just like, that's weird. Um, Versus, you know, labels do and do help, do and do not help. Depends on who you are and what works for you. Um, but sometimes knowing, oh, this this makes sense, right? Nothing is wrong with me, nothing bad. It is the ways in which we as humans like protect each other, right? Like a lot of therapeutically, right? A lot of trauma symptoms are just hype, like it's your body protecting yourself after something that's no longer there, right? So it's the hypervigilance, it's the um, the anxiety around certain experiences because your body is like, this happened before. These are the signs it's going to happen again. Um, and so we see that too when the trauma wasn't even ours that we experienced is that our body is saying, this doesn't feel right. We know something bad happens when 
a person who is a man is around or when the lights look like this or when we smell a certain perfume, right? Mm -hmm. There are things that are in our bodies that we don't even know that we take in when we have these experiences. Um, And so listening to our bodies, finding those people who can co-create safe space, setting boundaries too, right? Of like, I don't know if this is the space for me to share. Um, And uh, yeah, doing that introspective work, figuring out what it is, what's happening for you so that you can heal and potentially be a space for others um, to support their healing. Uh, And I know we do need to wrap up soon. Is there anything that, because we've gone over a lot today, is there anything that you wanted to share that we haven't gone over yet? I think, um, and something we talked about too, right, is generational trauma is often couched with in racial experiences and there's transgenerational trauma, there's intergenerational trauma, there's all these different ways in which we understand it. And so um, it is an experience that can be felt by any person, right? I think there are ways that it looks different, especially in terms of like race or um, sexuality and things like that or gender, but um, it is something that happens and it is also a part of mental health, right? Like we're experiencing these things and we have to talk about it. We have to address it. And we talked a little bit about kind of how to start the healing process, but really that healing sometimes is therapy, right? Again, I can have a whole other conversation about (laughs) therapy and choosing the right person and finding the safe spaces. Um, But really it's like taking care of what you need because generational trauma is generational. So if we don't start to address it, if we don't get help, if we don't seek support, then the next generation will influence that, right? We see kind of a lot. It was a generational thing until it stopped with me. Stopping with you is hard work. It is hard work. It is rough. It is not comfortable. Healing is gross. It's sticky and it's terrible, but it has to happen. And so knowing if you're in that stickiness, if you're in the grossness, you're healing and it is worth it. It is worth getting support, knowing and making sure that it stops, right? And so that future generations, whatever that looks like, it could be physically from you biologically or future generations of black people, future generations of queer people. Um, The work starts with us and the work is hard, but you are so deserving and so worth um, the uncomfortableness of it to heal. You are worth of that and you deserve it. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And to echo what you just said, healing, going through the healing process sucks. Yet it is, you are worth it. And you learn how to heal from future things too, Mm -hmm. and be able to handle more. So as much as the healing process sucks, it is, so, so worth it. And Ashley, any words of wisdom or encouragement for our audience? Uh, yes. Um, you are enough. Like you are also dealing with things in an authentic way with the resources that you have. Um, so how you have dealt is the ways in which you needed to. Um, and so I think Sometimes we judge ourselves in the ways in which we heal or process and uh, that you are worth all of the ways that it takes to heal. And 
healing happens in relationship. It does not happen alone. It happens with family. It happens with friends. It happens with community. It happens with the therapist. And so find the connections, find the support, um, because there is collective healing. I think, um, you know, bell hooks named, and I'm, this is a loose quote, (laughs) um, but paraphrasing, right. It is, it is rare that we heal alone. It is through community and relationship that we heal. And I think that's what this podcast does. And that's what I would encourage people to do. Find the spaces, find the people who look like you, sound like you, share your experiences or are different from you so that you can heal and uh, yeah, work towards being authentically who you are, which is an incredible person. Thank you. And how do people reach out to you, follow you, get some of your poetry in their life? Yes, you can follow me on Instagram at ACC poetry now and you can also find me on my website which is ashleycornelius.com and I'm always excited for people to reach out I post poetry and and events and um, I'm doing 28 days of black affirmations and I do a lot of affirmation um, videos for specific months so um, please follow and connect um, and also watch my TEDx talk of TEDx Cherry Creek Women. Um, I'll have links on my uh, Facebook and Instagram. And it will also be posted in the podcast description. So that's definitely uh, another way to find it. And last but not least, what is something that you're grateful for? Mm. <sighs> I am... I am grateful for my community. I always say self-made doesn't fit for me. I am community made and my community and a lot of decisions have made it to a point where I can be here. So every opportunity I get to share, um, I am always grateful for the community that lifted me up and believed in me. I love that. And something that I'm grateful for is finding those who are open to sharing their experience. And like you, there's something that it's so important to share our experiences when we're ready. And when we have that mental space, it's helpful for others. It can be helpful for you yet as powerful as it is, it's never a requirement. And I'm so grateful for, having guests on the podcast that are in that space to be able to share. So we ensure our audience knows that they're not alone. Well, thank you, Ashley, for being on the show and talk soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hello again, beautiful human. What did you get out of today's episode? We'd love to hear what was most impactful to you. We all know someone that could have really used this episode. So please send it their way. Remind them that they're not alone. Stay tuned for new episodes every Wednesday. Here's a few ways that we could really use your support to keep shit you don't want to talk about going. Share an episode. Let's get the message out there. Donate on PayPal or Patreon. Subscribe and rate the show on iTunes or Spotify. And follow us on social media. Shit to talk about. Shit, the number two, talk about. Bye.